With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hey everybody, welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithleday. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Badwater. How you doing? Uh, doing okay. Uh, 2023 is still trying to find new and clever ways to trip me up, but uh, I'm still upright, so can't complain. Well, it's March. Uh, we're going to be talking about March Madness, and also uh, the Diamond Ducks are getting into swing. Uh, you can cover in baseball uh, for us. The Ducks have had three out-of-conference series. Um, all of them have been sweeps, uh, and two of them even in the right way. Um, most recently, uh, they swept the San Diego Toreros. Uh, you covered that uh, for the site. Um, what were your takeaways uh, from that series? Well, I, it kind of goes back to the beginning of the season where uh, this baseball team has kind of started on footing that they really didn't want to be on, you know, losing RJ Gordon pretty much for the season uh, right from the outset. And then it looked like uh, Isaac AM was going to be out for initially they were saying most of the season, but I noticed um, coach was is, uh, he was a little bit more cautiously optimistic, optimistic about um, Aeon's return, and it looks like he's on a uh, series-to-series basis. Um, you know, when he comes back, he comes back. But you know, in the mean, in the meantime, we've had to depend on uh, an overwhelmingly f- uh, freshman pitching staff, and they've done pretty well. I, I don't think um, most Oregon baseball fans know that uh, out of the the 16 pitchers on Oregon staff that have pitching statistics, they've pitched in game, 10 of them are freshmen, true freshmen. Uh, I mean, that's an overwhelmingly young pitching staff. And that they've uh, performed as they have is – yeah, just nothing short of incredible. Yeah, I mean, in, in their most recent game, uh, you know, against San Diego, uh, you know, the, the, first of all, they did really well. You know, they only gave up one run, you know, in the second inning. Um, and basically, like, no hits, you know, like, you know, it wasn't until pretty late in the game that, you know, I think they went through, like, five innings without giving up a, a hit in the middle of the game. Um, but they kept rotating through um, – pitchers and it was like freshman after freshman after freshman it was like people i you know i'm like relearning this team you know it's uh it's a lot of new faces and especially on the mound yeah 
and it, it's all because we're not familiar with the these freshman pitchers. Um, you know, pitchers like uh, Jackson Pace and Leo Ullman have really shown their stuff, and they they've kind of stepped up where um, where they've had to uh, because we don't have uh, as much of a veteran pitching staff as we would have, you know, if we had uh, Gordon or or Aon. So, you know, they've had to step up. They have, and they've pitched pitched pretty darn good. You know, um, Pace had a, a great outing uh, against uh, San Diego. You know, it just pitched six solid innings. It, it, it You can't be disappointed yeah. about that at all. I, I was actually, you know, um, it during what was uh, looking like, uh, you know, he – it might have been a shutout. Like I was, I was wondering whether or not Waz was going to leave him in the entire game, try to get the the, the whole thing. Um, you know, he didn't. But uh, uh, you know, that's the other thing that was that's been encouraging to to watch for this baseball team is that, like, you know, e- even with the you know the pitching injuries that you've mentioned, like Waz is very comfortable pulling. You know, like like there was a point. Uh, I, I can't remember if it was the game three or game four against the Toreros, but like, you know, uh, one of the batters, like uh, one of the pitchers, like hit a, hit a batter and it was like, the, it, it was a mound conference immediately, you know, like, and, and the pitcher was gone, you know, like, you know, next inning he was gone, you know, like there was none of this, like, well, let's see if he pitches his way, his confidence back, you know, like, nah, nah, it was none of this. It was just like, we, we got like six other guys, you know, come on. Uh, yeah. They're, you know, they're not going to necessarily have a feel for uh, live gameplay from most of these freshmen. So, you know, they're going to be on a short leash and even if they're doing very well, um, you know, was going to be thinking about matchups and yeah. you know there's i'm sure there's a handful of them that are just on limited pitches uh, they're on a pitch count and they're kind of easing them into you know college play because it, it, it's a different game from high school and it's not like san diego's a bad hitting team either in fact statistically they have the best hitter in the nation right or you know yep yeah they uh, uh, no it, you can't say enough about how the uh, pitching staff uh, all around performed, you know, in, in getting a sweep. And, uh, you know, like I say, it's impossible not to be impressed uh, with these freshmen. And uh, I hope it's going to continue coming up into Pac-12 play against some pretty good Pac-12 teams. And then, uh, and then I also like, you know, boy, the long ball. You know, the bats are really coming alive. A uh, lot of home runs, um, you know, during this series, uh, including um, Nishida uh, uh, putting up a, a home run with a wood bat. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> I really like seeing that. That was cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I, I don't think I've ever seen that in a college game. But, yeah, the, the word from uh, somebody that I read was that he asked if it was legal. And, you know, it's legal. Yeah. to do something that's what he did and yeah pop one over the fence i mean you could 
I I mean, I was watching that game live, and I you know you can hear it. <laughs> you can hear it with a wood bat. I was <laughs> yeah. like, number one, you you can hear it when it's a when it's a home run, like you know. And number two is you can hear it when it's a wood bat. It's like, oop, he got that one. And I mean, that w- I I think it was the first hit of the game. Like, yeah, and it's funny how. Um, bats I mean, technically, can be- it's not a hit, but you know what I mean. <laughs> right. Like, I think it was yeah. the first time an Oregon batter connected with the ball, and I was like, "Oh right. wow!" Yeah, it's um, it's kind of funny how you can watch a major league baseball game, um, college football, uh, no, c- major league baseball game, college baseball game, and you get used to the sound of the bats as a background mm-hmm. noise. So yeah. somebody goes hit, you know, hitting it out of PK Park with a wooden bat. Yep. There, <laughs> that that doesn't go with the background noise gets your attention. Um, but it wasn't just the home run stuff. Uh, yeah, the Ducks were really productive with RBI doubles. You know, especially um, especially Drew Cowley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he had a, a couple of those uh, doubles on successive days. Uh, two RBI doubles that were placed in almost virtually the same place in left field is pretty incredible. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the, the third game where they just blew them out, they just like, couldn't stop hitting home runs. I mean, it was just crazy, yeah. you know, like, you know, it was like single, double home run, single, double home run. It was just like, I mean, it just, you got crazy. Uh, the, and then the fourth game was funny. Cause it was like, you know, first three innings was a home run a piece. Um, and then sort of a, you know, scoring drought into the seventh and, you know, in which Oregon put him in danger zone, you know, like, uh, it, um, but it was like really good base running, you know, it was like a stolen, it was a stand up stolen base, um, you know, t- and, uh, and, you know, and then, you know, they put runners on the corner, stand up stolen base to put them on second and third. And then, um, and then just, a just, a you know, like you said, Cowley, um, uh, just a, a, a real nice, you know, single, you know, to drive home two dudes to, you know, to put the game away, you know, five to one, um, uh, uh, where it was just, you know, it was base running, you know, it's just, it's just athleticism, you know, like, and we, we've talked about this, you know, I, I, I know we've talked about this with the softball team, but it, it, it's true. The baseball team as well. It's like, you know, Oregon has to have an athletic advantage, you know, mm-hmm. where, you know, the, this sort of stuff, like, you know, look, it's tertiary compared to power hitting, um, you know, on base percentage and pitching, uh, you know, it's true, but, you know, fielding and athleticism to squeeze out, you know, to, to squeeze out extra, uh, runs in scoring position and, or to put yourself in scoring position and to conversely not have those marginal, uh, you know, scoring opportunities go against you because you're winning double plays, et cetera, uh, with your fielding, like, yeah, that's how you like squeeze out, you know, games against, uh, uh, you know, that are tight games or against like evenly matched competition. And, you know, yeah, it's nice to see that out of the ducks. And as I said, you know, we're sort of learning a bunch of new faces with this young team and uh, yeah, you know, Oregon's not missing a beat, you know, on that question. I can definitely report from watching that, you know, this series, you know, and I watched every one of these games and you wrote up every one of these games, just like, yeah, we're going to have a lot of really athletic baseball players and like, you know, they, they know their base running, you know, they, they know how to put themselves in a scoring position, take advantage when they're in it. Yeah. And with, uh, with some of these close games that we've seen, um, 
the pitching staff is really helped by some outstanding defensive play. You know, over mm-hmm. this last series, uh, we saw some great uh, outfield outs, double plays, um, uh, just in, insane uh, infield stops. So, and that, yeah, that's what a, a young pitcher is going to need to, you know, kind of help them make it through the innings. Uh, well, they uh, uh, they stay here in Eugene uh, this coming weekend. Uh, they start Pac-12 play against number 13 ranked UCLA uh, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Um, should be a pretty good matchup. UCLA is also a very athletic team. Um, uh, it'll be on uh, Oregon live stream. Uh, so you can, you know, watch it on your computer or go to the park. Uh, weather should be okay. Um, the, uh, apparently the Oregon sports, uh, uh or a scorekeeper has been, uh, doing fun stuff. If you look <laughs> up the, uh, if you, if you go to the box score, the, the, the they've been common. The, uh, there was a rain delay, uh, for the, the fourth game for a few minutes and, uh, the, the official weather report from the scorekeeper uh, for game four against San Diego is not kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And for the first game, it was uh, the weather report was me no likey. Uh, all right. <laughs> Let's take a break. We come back. We'll talk some men's hoops. Uh, well, Oregon needed to sweep the Bay Area schools uh, in order to uh, beat out Arizona State for a first round bye at the Pac-12 tournament, and that is just what happened. Um, uh, they handled Cal pretty easily. Cal is a three-win team on the season, uh, so um, that was a comfort. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in fact, the the box score is actually not very helpful against Cal. Um, it's like. You know, I I do film analysis for for the football team, and and you know it's pretty common for advanced uh, statisticians to incorporate what we call garbage time. And basketball has not caught up with us. We need garbage time to analyze this box score. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there are guys playing significant minutes in this game who never play. Like, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, like a lot of the shot percentage is uh, inaccurate or, or non-representative because there are dudes hoisting buckets who never take shots. Like, it was bad, man. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I don't know if we can glean much out of this game. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Cal. Um, I'm not, I'm not really sure what Cal is good at, you know, to be honest. Like I was trying to go through like what's, you know, rowing, I guess, like esports, maybe like, like Cal's Dota t- two team has got to be phenomenal. I was, you know, like that, that's about it as far as I can tell. Um, Oh, rugby. They've got to have a really good rugby team, or at least they all wear <laughs> rugby shirts to their football games. So, or know. maybe this, maybe they still do wrestling. Oh, I, unlike Oregon, sadly, they be, killed it off in order to have baseball, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, I can the, live with that. The Stanford game, though, they, uh, they need to get that one. It was like closer than it should have been because Stanford's not really that much better of a team. Um, uh, you know, just looking at the box score, you know, Stanford dropped a couple more three pointers than they should have. They probably got a little luckier behind the three point arc. You know, that they, they went nine for 21 when a three point line probably should have been more like seven for 21, which case that, you know, it would have been instead of, uh, 
you know, 68 to 73 would have been 62 to 73, you know, in other words, an 11 point win and, and nobody would have batted an eye. So like, I don't know, I'm not sure how much I, you know, you know, anybody ought to be panicking about this, you know, game, you know, you can just sort of write it off like Stanford got lucky a couple of times from the three point arc, but I don't know, man. What do you think about this team? We're all done with the regular season. They did get a first round by the Pac-12 tournament. It, it all is well. Is that what you were thinking about this team? Well, yes and no. I mean, they they did pick up a couple of uh, troubling injuries before the yeah. you know Stanford game, and and they at this point they really can't uh, afford to lose. Um, players, hopefully, no, that not. kind. Hopefully, the injury bug stops there because, um, you know, at the at the moment where it looks like in, in this season they might be starting to figure this out, they don't need to drop players to injury because that, that's just going to upset the apple cart. Um, so they're they're coming against the Cougars um, or Cal. Well, let's just say they're they're coming against Cougars. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because oh uh, um, I I heard Cropea saying, and this was uh, a week or two ago that that Cal was uh, statistically the worst Power Five uh, basketball team. It'd be hard uh, to there. imagine a worse yeah. one. Yeah. So, um, so we'll be going against the Cougars, and uh, hopefully. Hopefully I mean, we the, have, the Cougs, oh, as in all sports, are a little worrisome to play in Pullman. I, I guess I don't really worry about them too much in a neutral side. Although the women's team just won. Yeah, well, the, yeah, the, the women I, I know, went the, all the way. You know, we stopped paying attention to them when, when Oregon got beat by Stanford, um, which, you know, we all expected, you know, for that to happen. But, like, actually, there were a bunch of crazy upsets um, on the women's side. Like, both, you know, all the favorites lost. Um, Utah and Stanford went out in the the in both of their first games. Um, uh, yeah, the women's side was actually pretty crazy uh, in the Pac-12 tournament and good for the Cougs. Uh, the Lady Cougs, um, you know, the first time ever, I believe, uh, uh, one on the women's side um, and not in Pullman. So uh, I guess uh, uh, they can play outside of the Palouse. Um, uh, nonetheless, yeah, I, I hope, you know, that, I hope that fairy dust doesn't settle over on the men's side. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I feel like, you know, they probably used it up. I don't know. Like I, I watched, you know, th- that was the third of a three game skid, um, on the men's side, uh, you know, that Oregon lost to, but you know, one was UCLA, one was Washington that was truly painful and maybe the nadir of, um, Will Richardson's just like, Will, I mean, give me a break, dude. And, and then the Wazoo game was sort of the last of them. And, I don't know, man. Like, I feel like if the Wazoo game happened in isolation, it like people wouldn't have been freaking out about it as much because it really just felt like just one of those games that like if you watched it in isolation, it felt like one of those games where the other team just sort of got hot with a couple of lucky shots and, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and the home team just won, you know, a game that they shouldn't have um, like it really like. And it was only that it was part of that skid that made it, you know, feel so bad and like in inexorable and awful or whatever. Like if you actually break down the box score, you know, and, and, and treat it like, 
it as its own thing statistically. It's sort of like it's not that scary, and, and Wazoo is not that scary of a team. And and honestly, like Oregon's performance against Stanford was not that scary. But you know, Oregon's performance against Stanford sort of like continues these like I don't know these like troubling trend like. I don't know. For example, like I, 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 I continue to question why Rivaldo Soares is starting on this team. You know, he, he plays 29 minutes. He shoots three times and makes one basket. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, me, meanwhile, Key Bartholomew and Quincy Garrier, you know, are, are playing off the bench and are, you know, massively outscoring him. Kalel Ware, who publicly, you know, is feuding with Dana Altman for a good chunk of the season, <laughs> like almost doubles up Rivaldo Soares on nine minutes of play. Like, it's yeah. like, I don't. Yeah. Uh, how much? How much more do you have to prove, right? I don't. Yeah. I mean, I don't get it. On the other hand, I, I, you know, I do like that Nate Biddle um, is, is playing more, uh, you know, I, I like what he's contributing to the team. Um, uh, you know, I, I want to see more out of Kusinard. Like when Kusinard is hot, Kusinard is, is one of the best players in the league, but he's not always real hot. Mm-hmm. Um, like in Folly Dante, how have we been talking this long? We haven't mentioned Folly Dante, you know, first team pac 12, like, and he deserves it. Like, I really think that that dude's having a great, season and i really wish the rest of the team was like living up to what he's been doing this year um, yeah well like, the ducks would be totally lost if it wasn't for dante oh, and his playing right now and you and i know it. uh the basketball world knows it. the american people don't yes uh certainly um <laughs> but i mean um, like, I, I think the the washington weekend was a, kind of a, a lost weekend you know that we were seeing a a team that was still not congealing very well. And so my hope is that um, some, uh, some of that solidification that we've seen uh, the past couple of three games uh, will carry over because uh, they, they need to get at least past their uh, second round game against WSU. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I I realize what I'm about to say it sounds pretty squishy and, and and not very like me as an analyst, but like I do think that I I've been seeing that the last couple of games, uh, you know, more cohesive play, like more play as a team. Um, you know, like hell, it could just be they're playing against you know inferior opponents, you know, but like I, I really don't. Yeah, you know, like for 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 a lot of like cynical people, like cynical Ducks fans or fans of other fan bases who are just you know out for blood, you know, out for for any excuse to say or, or have this line locked and loaded, whether it's true or not. You know, want you know Dana Altman's reign of terror over the Pac-12 to be over. You know, want Dana Altman to have lost his touch. Like when I watch this team, I don't see a team that's badly coached. I no. see. I, I do see curious decision about starting time, or, or you know, starter with sores. I I don't get that. You know, I see an allegiance to Will Richardson, which I don't. You know, at this point, looks like a bad bet, but like he doesn't have a time machine. Um, um, but like the idea that like this team is uncohesive and not coming together at in March, the way that Dana Altman teams have historically done so that he has a chance to continue the 20 win streak. Um, like, nah, I don't see evidence of that at all. Like not even a little bit. 
Right. And it's going to be very interesting to see, um, you know, provided that the Cougars uh, don't become the women's team and blow through everybody. It would be mm. very interesting to see uh, how this team plays against UCLA because that that's going to be kind of the litmus test of um, whether they can be taken seriously uh, for an NCAA berth or not, uh, either in at large I mean, in at large situation or you know, if you can if you can beat UCLA, well then yeah maybe the the uh, tournament champion. Uh, position is where you're going. Honestly, it would be the most Dana Altman thing ever to beat UCLA to get win number 20. Mm -hmm. Like, and also like, just like the UCLA fan base screaming about that. (laughs) Oh my God. You could, you could power a small city for a year with the amount of UCLA fan base. They go totally atomic. Screaming and garment rending over that. Well, UCLA in a couple of years, this won't be your problem. Uh, All right, let's take a break. Uh, When we come back, we'll uh, talk about Oregon's new offensive line coach. So the once and future offensive line coach, Alik Terry, um, was uh, he was actually a grad assistant for Oregon in 2019 and 2020, um, working with the offensive line. He was an offensive line player for Wake Forest, um, and then uh, a qual- you know he graduated, then was a you know quality control guy uh, for for his um, alma mater. Uh, then Oregon picked him up as a GA uh, in 2019 and 2020. So like he was actually working with these guys. Like he's not so old that like this is a new crop. Like some of these guys were guys he was working with already. Um, uh, so then um, Hawaii actually picks him up to be their uh, offensive line position coach. His first on, on-field jobs with Hawaii in 2021. Um, and, uh, and that was the film that I reviewed for the article that I will be publishing tomorrow morning. We're recording this on Tuesday night. Um, and this podcast will go out like half an hour before this article, I guess. Um, so anyway, uh, so yeah, I reviewed Hawaii's season with elite Terry as the, uh, offensive line coach. Um, Hawaii's 2021 season was kind of cursed. Uh, they, uh, Todd Graham, who Oregon fans may remember was Arizona state's, uh, coach for a while there. Um, uh, among, uh, he was like Pitt's head coach and Tulsa's head coach and a couple other places. Um, uh, uh, he resigned slash was fired by Hawaii at the end of that season. It uh, came out that there were a bunch of players who were, um, who felt like really mistreated, um, by him, um, and his staff, uh, his, um, uh, his Todd Graham hired his son, Bo Graham to be, uh, the offensive coordinator, um, I can tell you from watching film in 2021, I hated that offense. I really did not like doing this project. I really are. Well, I, I, I didn't like watching this film because the, the offense was not good. Like, or it was a six and seven team in which I felt like the, the offense was, was, 
you, you know how fans will complain about offenses being like uncreative and un, and totally predictable and like they just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again and really they're actually not you know they, they they're just not executing particularly well but like fans don't want to say that they want to blame the coaches um and uh, you, you know how fans make that complaint yeah, yeah all, all they do is they they run they run and they pass and then three yeah, downs right. and out that that's the that's the complaint of just about any fan base where the right. team isn't doing So fans were would actually be correct about this team. Like this <laughs> this team watching this offense made me wish that like John Donovan or Andy Ludwig were the offensive coordinator because those guys look like creative geniuses playing with a full deck compared to what Bo Graham was doing. It was so now it wasn't run, 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 occasional pass. It was actually the opposite of that. It was tons of drop back passing all the time. It, you know, in that sense, it was reversed, but like, but that was it, man. It was like all it was doing was drop back passing. They would abandon the run for wide swaths, even though they were actually a pretty effective um, rushing offense. Uh, like um, their two leading running backs rushed for um, 6.4 yards per carry and 5.3 yards per carry, which are both, you know, good averages. Um, uh, they, uh, between those two guys, they had uh, four different hundred yard games. Um, uh, they're, the, uh, but uh, the, 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 but the playbook kept shrinking. Like they kept pulling plays out of it. Um, the entire back half of the season, they stopped running. I'm not joking about this. They stopped running outside of garbage time. Cause they didn't chart garbage time. They stopped running RPOs. They stopped running any kind of play that had a quarterback run as a component to it, which meant any kind of zone read play or design quarterback keeper, um, or quarterback power. Um, they pulled out sweeps and they pulled out, you're not going to believe me when I say this, they pulled out screen passes. They did not throw screen passes in the second part of the season. Like it was, it was nothing but down, like simple downfield passes, like on a three to one basis. Like it was such an insipid, uh, offense. So with that kind of thing going on, uh, doesn't that uh, limit your ability to analyze what's um, going on with the offensive line? Well, or, or is that not the case? It, it limit yes, destroy no. It 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 constrains it, and it means that I have to put a grain of salt or like an asterisk next to certain things. So you know, I do have to put an asterisk next to. Uh, I can't promise that this, you know, while I thought that the run game was very promising, I simply don't have a big enough data set to say, uh, you know, that the, that the run blocking was really, really good. I think it looked pretty good, but it just sample size, not big enough. Um, so that's, you know, more on the lines of it's suggestive, not conclusive. Um, I have no idea how good they are at, you know, like for at certain plays like wide zone blocking, because they weren't doing wide zone blocking. I don't know how good they are at uh, power run blocking. They didn't do power run blocking. I don't know how they do, how they are at like um, running downfield on screen, you know, like tunnel screens where the offensive linemen have to run downfield real fast. Uh, no clue because they weren't doing that. Like, pfft, uh. um, on let the let other me, hand, let, let, let me ask you this. Uh, 
if I may, uh, how seasoned was that Hawaii front line? Um, they were, uh, uh, um, they were third and fourth years. Um, okay. basically, uh, they, they, they were, they had been in the program for a while. Um, they, uh, not under Terry, of course, Terry came to them, you know, for that first year. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, y- you weren't talking about kiddos. Um, right. They, uh, what I can tell you, however, is I got to watch a million reps of them doing drop back pass pro because that's all they were doing. <laughs> and you know what the strength of Hawaii's offense was, you know, far and away, the best thing that Hawaii did was it wasn't catch passes because the receivers had rocks for hands. It wasn't the quarterback because he was making dumb decisions all the time. Uh, it might've been the running backs, but they <laughs> never were given an opportunity to shine. Um, it wasn't the tight end because, you know, that guy was built like a stick. Uh, you, you know, it wasn't the play calling because that was made me want to gouge, gouge my eyes out. You know what the strength of the offense yeah. was? And that only leaves one unit. It was the offensive line. It was pretty damn good in pass protection. It was between an 11 and 16%, you know, error rate, which is pretty decent as these things go. You know, it would have been in 2021. It would have been in the top half of the Pac-12. Um. Uh, I really like, in particular, I really like their left tackle. I, I put a couple of clips in my article in which I'm highlighting the left tackle is like teaching tape. Like, this is how you do it, kids. Um, uh, um, they really communicate well. Um, like I put a bunch of clips, a bunch of clips in my article in which opposing defensive lines do twists and stunts and, and including like double twists and blitzes and stuff where it's like, it's advanced stuff. It's like where they have to communicate to like handoff assignments, right? It's not just like mm-hmm. take the dude who's coming right at you. It's like, take that dude and then hand him off to that dude while you take this other dude, or mm-hmm. you have to know that the back is going to take that dude. So he's a, he's, he's eye candy. He's supposed to distract you, but you're not supposed supposed to get distracted you're gonna supposed to take this other guy right and so it's like there's clips up and down my article of the offensive lineman being smart and not getting fooled by the eye candy and trusting you know that everybody knows what their assignment is and that you know no you do this and you do that you know like they communicate well and like all like yeah man the offensive line was the best part of the team (laughs) and so like yeah um so like that was cool that was you know hey I've I've kind of had your uh, uh, article asterisked in my head when I saw it on the schedule because I I know virtually nothing about Terry and uh, he's getting a, a front line where you know, a lot of the veterans have um, turned over and you know now they're looking at uh, Sunday ball and so uh, yeah I'm really very interested in uh, seeing what you were seeing. Well, you know, like I said, the, the, you know, he was only with Hawaii for one year and he's a pretty young coach. And on top of that, like, uh, like almost immediately after hiring Terry, he also hires as an offensive line analyst, which is not an on field coach. Um, Mike uh, Kavanaugh, or I know his last name is Kavanaugh. I'm, I hope his first name is Mike. I think that's right. Um, who's a long time offensive line coach. Like I, like a long time like that dude's been around forever he was with oregon state under mike riley and then riley took him to nebraska and like nebraska fans Mm. speak pretty highly of him there too um he's been all over the place like 
he, he's been around so long that I didn't even bother to do. I thought about doing a film study project on him. I'm just like, I'm not going to review 30 years of film. <laughs> I'm just like, this guy's been around for a long time. He knows what he's doing. Let's just like take that on faith. You know, <laughs> like right. I'm sure that he will provide lots of sage advice. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, but, but, you know, back to Terry, um, you know, my, my, here's my point is that like, apparently, you know, you know, given that, and like I, I included in my article, a link to the San Francisco gate article, which simultaneously the San Francisco gate was the article in which all of these players at Hawaii went to, to, to spill the tea, you know, to, to, to talk about like all the, the, the uh, abusive treatment that they felt that they were receiving, um, Mm -hmm. at the the hands of that coaching staff. Now they talked about Todd Graham a lot. They didn't, nobody talked about elite Terry. Um, and, uh, now I can't say, Hey, elite Terry sheltered his players from the bad, you know, culture at that program. Um, and that's why his dudes performed well and nobody and the rest of the dudes didn't like, I, I can't, I can't say that. Like I have absolutely no way of demonstrating that, um, you know, whatsoever. Um, I also can't say, Hey, this dude who was there for one year, um, who was dealing with kids who, you know, had been in the program longer than he was there, that he turned them into maulers. And before that they were, you know, lumps of clay who were useless. I have no way of demonstrating that either. And I doubt it's true. Um, like, but what I can say is on a program that was going downhill fast and which players were willing to spill the tea. And the other thing about the San Francisco gate article is that it was updated to include Todd Graham's resignation letter in which he like, he me a culpa's man. Like he says some stuff, um, mm-hmm. uh, in which like that program clearly had some toxic elements to it. Like elite Terry sure didn't do anything wrong, you know, for a guy who's been coaching, for a a hot second he sure you know in in an environment where things could have gone really wrong if he weren't a good dude things didn't go wrong Mm -hmm. you know instead things seem to go pretty well you know and from what i can say from watching films i was actually pretty impressed you know now did did they hit the oregon standard of single digit error rate no you know, that's what I can say from watching um, a film on Oregon and the Pac-12 and lots of other teams, you know, for 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 a long time now um, doing full season, you know, reviews of, you know, I have combined a hundred years now. I actually went back and computed this. I've done more than 100 full seasons of film review. Um, I, not I'm a hundred years old, but you know, um, yeah, pull out the cray. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, but I have, I have more than a hundred full seasons of film review under my belt and you know, with this same system of evaluating, you know, players, including offensive line. And I, you know, I'm able to compare what are my offensive line grades versus, you know, what is your performance? And I can run a correlation analysis on that. And, you know, I'm able to say like, okay, this is what, you know, your offensive line performance needs to be in order for what your overall offensive performance and, you know, your then therefore overall, you know, 
you know, you know, end of year performance, team performance needs to be. And so basically, you know, I can say with a very high degree of confidence, like extremely high confidence interval, that your offensive line is the most essential aspect to your football team success. Um, other than your quarterback's performance, that should probably go without saying your offensive line performance is extremely important. You know, uh, uh, like defense, like comes in for like, it's, you know, offensive line, do not neglect it. And on top of that, unlike the quarterback and coaching staff, which you can parachute in in year one, right? Like you can immediately turn around those positions. You cannot immediately turn around your offensive line. Mm-hmm. If you dig yourself okay. a hole in the offensive line, it's going to take you five years to dig it out, which is why I freak out about offensive line changes. Um, it's why, you know, maybe people wonder what, what is, is Hith losing, you know, sanity here? Like, do, why are you, why'd you dig so far into Hawaii's film for this offensive line? Well, this is why is because if you find yourself in a hole in the offensive line, you are never coming out. And if anybody's wondering why, you know, the PAC 12 has problems because the uh, PAC 12 doesn't play offensive line very, very well. And if anybody's wondering why the uh, Oregon has more or less, you know, for, for most of the last 20 years run the PAC 12s because Oregon's been the exception, you know, Steve Greatwood and Alex Mirabal, and I guess Adrian Clem have, you know, have been the exception in, in, in producing excellent offensive lines and the Oregon standard. And I, and I mean, back to, you know, what I can say from having all this charting and, and, and running the correlation analysis is you need to perform at a single digit error rate across your offensive line in order to get championship caliber performance um, out of your offense. I love the form numbers. And <laughs> you just can't argue with it. So Hawaii was not hitting single digit error rates. Hawaii was at best hitting about 11%. Um, that was their, their left tackle and their center were hitting uh, 11%. Their left guard was hitting 12%. Um, their, their right tackle was unfortunately hitting 16%. He was playing the entire year. He's just, on. he's just, I think there were talent problems there, unfortunately. Uh, and then the right guard had, um, the, the right guard, there was an injury problem. He, he actually started out pretty well and then he got hurt and then his backup, um, there was his backup. It was a backup, but, and then they, I think, unfortunately they rushed the starter. They thought he was healthier than I think he actually was. And they rushed him back in, I think a week earlier than they should have. And that really hurt his numbers. Um, and, but then by the end of the season, he, he did get back to health and then his numbers come back up. So like, that's a, that's a complicated situation. His numbers are kind of, you got to put a, an asterisk next to them, but, but, mm-hmm. but I can't say the left side of his, the line actually really played pretty well, um, and came pretty close to hitting that single digit standard. Um, 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 but the other thing I can say from, from watching it is that like, it was, when they were getting beat, it, it wasn't like mental stuff. It wasn't like technique stuff. You know, it's not the kind of stuff that reflects coaching. It was just like, oh, shit, man, that, that dude just got ran over. Like, he, he just got, mm-hmm. you know, out physical. You know, they did play two power five teams. They played UCLA and Oregon State um, at the beginning of the year. Um, and like, yeah, kind of dragged their numbers down a bit. They're playing power five guys, not like Oregon State and UCLA have fantastic power five defenses in 2021 or anything. But you know what I mean? That's like, still power five. I mean, hey, they beat, you know, Hawaii beat Fresno State last year. Hey, here's a fun stat. Um, uh, 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 Mario Cristobal uh, beat Kalen DeBoer in 2021. 
um, Alik Terry beat Kalen DeBoer in 2021. <laughs> Dan Lanning lost to Kalen DeBoer in 2022. So, hey, how about that? Maybe that's why Dan Lanning <laughs> hired that's Alik right. Terry. Hey, he didn't have the right dude. Yeah. Right. So, um, there should be hope against Washington this year. Yeah. That's, I, that's I, hate, fine, yeah. I hate losing to the Huskies. God, right. I hate that. Uh, yeah, everyone does. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it goes out, goes without. So anyway, uh, I, 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 I suffered for, uh, I suffered through watching a really insipid, uh, offense for a team that wound up firing its entire coaching staff, including Aleek Terry, but that's because they, you know, they fired everybody. Um, Terry actually wound up with the Minnesota Vikings, uh, as an assistant defensive line coach of all things, which is really interesting. Um, uh, I didn't really feel like it'd be productive to study that. So I didn't. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, offensive line coach now for Oregon, uh, that, that article is going up tomorrow. Uh, plenty of film clips, uh, to look at. I, 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 I always like doing offensive line stuff because it gives me an opportunity to, to, to do a little bit of, uh, of what I feel is a little educational work, try to teach a little technique. You know, the offensive line, like I said, is, is the most important, but also most like overlooked unit on a football team. And I feel like it's the thing that, um, most benefits fans doing off season like film review where you can like, Hey man, you, every one of these clips, you can slow it down. You can do it in like slow motion. You know, you can even do frame by frame, I believe on these, um, on these gifts, like, uh, 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 and, and really watch technique and be like, Hey, this is a, this is an art form. Um, and, uh, and pick up like, you know, the, the, the subtleties, uh, of what's going on here. And like, yeah, I think there's a lot to appreciate. And I think that Terry did a, a pretty good job and I think it was pretty encouraging. Yeah. And even though it's going to be very vanilla, it's going to be interesting to see what the offensive line does with fundamentals uh, during the spring game. Yeah, uh, that's true. That's going to be, our, gonna be uh, our, our first opportunity to really kind of dig into uh, how things are going. That's true. Um, and I mean, it, it helps. It's not like, you know, Terry's inheriting a bunch of, you know, totally green players. He's getting uh, Jackson Powers Johnson and Marcus Harper and uh, Stephen Jones and, you know, some pretty and, 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 and Connerly, you know, all of whom, you know, got plenty of experience plus, you know, a bunch of like highly recruited guys like, you know, David Uli and, 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 you know, several other dudes, um, you know, who, who, you know, been beneficiary of excellent, uh, offensive line recruiting for, for, for several years, uh, at Oregon. So, you know, he's, he's going to be, you know, getting some good guys to work with, you know, he's not working, walking into, uh, you know, sort of a disaster area. I mean, honestly, you know, it was interesting because this is, now the second straight year that I've I've done an, an a new offensive line coach article when I wrote up Adrian Clem last year it, uh, I also had to touch on like hey there are allegations of abuse uh here um although the one about Adrian Clem it was about Adrian Clem um you know the, the Clem was a much more was also you know Clem was a weird article to write because it was like Hey, I didn't like watching these guys technique. Like there were significant problems here, but now all of these dudes are in the NFL. Like, and how do you square that circle? You know, and the best like way that I could figure out was that like the, the, well, 
there were a couple of different theories, you know, basically it was like, this guy's got a really good eye for evaluation. Um, but like either, you know, while that, like something was when he took over that program, um, that like, it was such a mess that he had to like rush guys onto the field and like they, the, the, like their development was stunted and, uh, and that that sort of like created problems throughout the time that he was at UCLA. Um, and that, you know, uh, and that that was reflected on the field and that, you know, there, that, that maybe that when he got to Oregon, when he stepped into, you know, in, into a situation where it was more like a conveyor belt, you know, it was a, rather than stepping into a dysfunctional system and trying to whip it into shape that he was stepping into a functional system and he was just keeping it moving that, you know, the, that ladder would, he'd be more successful. And it appeared mm-hmm. to be, you know, Hey, that that's, that theory seemed to hold water. Um, and, uh, and, so now I write this article about Terry and I sort of feel like, Hey, something similar obtains, you know, here where it's like, Hey, Hawaii was a pretty apparently dysfunctional place under Todd Graham, but I liked watching this film or at least watching this offensive line film better than I liked watching the UCLA film under Clem because the UCLA film under Clem, I felt like I was watching technique errors all the time. And when I was watching the Hawaii film under Terry, I felt like I was not watching technique errors. I was watching the offense screw up in every other conceivable way. In fact, literally the first uh, video clip compilation in my article is <laughs> I, I had fun assembling this one. I, ha- I, I, ha- I had to give myself some fun after after this torture <laughs> session, <laughs> struggle session. Uh, the first clip compilation of my article is is a is here are four clips of the offensive line doing a fantastic flipping job against a really tough situation like really tough uh attack um and then the everybody else on the field screwing up for a while <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. so uh so yeah like i i anyway um I enjoyed watching this offensive line film more than I watched, enjoyed watching Adrian Clem's UCLA offensive lineman um, film from a technique perspective. Um, And I feel like Terry is stepping similar to Clem. I feel like Terry is stepping into at Oregon, a more, a more talented environment, a more healthy and functional environment, uh, and one in which, you know, he's probably going to have more opportunities to flourish, uh, than he did at his last stop. So, uh, yeah, well, that's it. That's good to hear. I'm really looking forward to that, uh, article tomorrow. Uh, well, we'll be going up at, uh, 7am. Uh, <laughs> I'll be awake. <laughs> <laughs> well, very good. Um, <laughs> All right, I think that'll do it for us this week. Uh, do you have any parting words of wisdom for us? Uh, no, not really. It's not April 29th yet, but it is Pac-12 tournament week, so go Ducks. Do it to it. Make a run. Uh, and hey, uh, you can go watch a baseball game. Uh, the weather may or may not be cooperative. The scorekeeper may or may not uh, have a, a clever thing to say about it. Um, but regardless of what the rain does at PK Park never rains on this podcast. <laughs>